meets unbelievers will tell you what the Bible is. But I'm going to dive into my message on prayer, because that's what we're, we're part of. Um, and it's an old prayer. Jesus, you know, 2,000 years ago said this is a cool prayer. Just because it's old doesn't mean it's, you know, anything wrong with it. Lots of new prayers have been written since then. Um, it reminds me of Charlie, our seven-year-old, explaining to Judy about her, his friend's grandmother that was like the oldest lady in the world he's ever seen. So Judy said, you know what I mean? Yeah, the oldest lady. Judy said, be that old. He says, Mom. You dip that lady in green paint. You take her out, people think it's her. Congratulations to my kids. The oldest prayer happens to be the best prayer. I, uh, I'm part-time lead team at Jesus Church, and I'm part-time I'm a, a wannabe writer. I managed to write two books, and I'm busy researching my third one. So off dropping my kids off school, I usually go to a coffee shop, the one I go to mostly is Ness. And uh, I got into the habit of going to the kitchen and praying with the staff there. And uh, usually if I've been able to read the Bible in the morning, which um, I'll mention that scripture, but if I haven't been able to read the Bible before that, I'll say, let's pray the Lord's Prayer. And we pray this prayer again. It just lights up the fire in all the right places. This thing is how you should pray, says Jesus. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Uh, just how we say, forgive us our trespasses as we've forgiven those who've trespassed against us. So four big words there. Name, kingdom, give, forgive. Name, kingdom, give, forgive. Hallowed be your name. What the heck is that about? Well, in, in, the, in the ancient world, and so much of the world today, a person's name is their reputation. A person's name encapsulates their character, what you think about them. God's name is a revelation of who He is. One of the cool things you do when you read the Bible is you notice all the names people attribute to God, or the names that God reveals Himself as. They tell us a little bit about Him. God is... Yahweh Jireh, the Lord who provides. Yahweh Rapha, the Lord our healer. Yahweh Nisi, the Lord our banner. Yahweh Shalom, the Lord our peace. Yahweh Ra, the Lord our shepherd. Yahweh Tikkenu, the Lord our righteousness. Yahweh Shammah, the Lord is here. His El Shaddai, God Almighty. El Ilyon, the everlasting God. Uh, he is um, El Gibber, the warrior God. And there's all these cool different names. God is the faithful God, the holy God, the God of truth, the God of the heroic, the God of knowledge, the God of glory, the righteous God, the God of eternity. God is the living God. Some places he's called the jealous God. Not the bad kind of jealousy. The kind of jealousy that wants our hearts for himself. God is Abba Father. He's the Alpha and the Omega, the ancient of days. And we could spend another like, few hours running through different descriptions of, of God's name. His name encapsulates his reputation, who he is. It's a beautiful thing that we know God's name. What does hallowed mean? Hallowed be your name. I remember, um, you know, little kids saying, thinking God's name is Harold. You know, if you do something, pray, Harold be thy name. <laughs> hallowed means to be in awe of. Hallowed means to, um, to treat us the most special. Hallowed be God's name. Cherished be God's name. Prized 
be God's name. This name! I still remember when I fell in love with Judy. Suddenly the name Judy was hello. <laughs> Julie. <laughs> Julie. Can't say anything bad about that name. I began to hello that name. <laughs> Isaiah 26 verse 8. Your name and fame are the desire of our hearts. Like you, want to, you want a summary of my life? First 16 years of my life. Uh, my name and my fame was the desire of my heart. And then I met Jesus. Now his name and his fame is the desire of my heart. Complete revolution. It's all the same person, same quirky person, same, you know, gifts, talents, all looks. But inside, a whole new set of desires. My prayer for you today is you leave this place with his name and his fame as the desire of your heart. That's why we get together, by the way. You see, worship is the hallowing of his name. What were we doing, you know, up until now this morning? We've been hallowing his name. And that's the thing. As you realize who God is, you begin to go look out the window and you're like, Jesus, there's a lot of people out there. I wonder how many of them know how awesome God is. Not enough. You know, worship is the fuel of mission. So as you begin to prize him, you show a lot of people to know him. And mission exists because worship doesn't. The reason that we, that we, that we take the message of Jesus out to the world is, is so that more people can worship him. Not because God needs worship. It's because we need to worship. How do we worship ourselves? Our fame? Our man? I mean, that's what, that's what our culture presents. Is that life in the space is you having a huge social media following. Hello, be your name. Well done. What a lame way to live life. No, his name and his fame is the desire of our hearts for ourselves. And when you worship him, you experience a joy like you've never known before. You've never known a joy like knowing God's name, God's fame. How great is our God. Sing with me, guys. How great is our God. Come on, everybody, this is awesome. He carries his glory among the nations, his marvelous works among all the peoples. Psalm 96. Make known his deeds among the peoples. Proclaim that his name is exalted, Isaiah 12. God said, sends the Apostle Paul on his mission. That's why Romans 15 says, In order that the nations may glorify God for his mercy. Romans 9, God does his mighty works in history that his name may be proclaimed in all the earth. We live for the fame of his name. The next part of the prayer. Ah, your, you know, I thought that would be your name. What comes next? Your kingdom come. Your will be done. Now, kingdom is the mega theme of the Bible. And you could really do like a 15-week series just to like get a, a nice sense. I'm just going to try to run over some big ideas here. Especially in the final parts of the Old Testament, there's all of these prophecies about how God is soon going to take his saving intervention in the world to a new level. By, listen to how Zechariah 14 says it, he is going to become king. So God is king. But there's clearly a lot of rebellion and darkness in the world. Not a problem. The prophets, prophets are saying, God's going to become king. The God who is king is going to become king. And, and, and it tells 
tells us that he's going to send his king Messiah, the son of David, who's going to serve as God's earthly counterpart. He's going to be a heavenly king and the earthly king. He's going to restore God's people. He's going to bless the entire world. Especially he's going to pour out his spirit, his self-presence on all flesh. He's going to bring about a new creation, a new exodus. So, so that by the time Jesus comes, this constellation of promises of the, the prophets at the end of the Old Testament, and all of this can be now summarized with the phrase, the kingdom of God. This is the expectation of unprecedented stage in the dynamic saving reign of God. Isaiah the prophet especially describes how this coming kingdom is going to be comprehensive. Comprehensive, sorry. It's, it, it's a salvation blessing that's going to completely eclipse the past. The spirit is going to be poured out. Sins are going to be forgiven. Death is going to be swallowed up. Oppression is going to be eliminated. Joy and peace will reign. The nations will gather to pay tribute to God's king and God. I mean, that's a huge promise. So, by the time Jesus comes, in the mind of the first century Palestine, the big idea is that we live in the present evil age where God is not king. We, we know God is king, but God has not become king because evil is just so dominant. Not a problem. We are waiting for the Messiah to come who will end the present evil age and usher in the kingdom age, the age of the Spirit. That's what people are expecting. An end of darkness, a beginning of light. Well, Jesus arrives and he announces, you know, the kingdom of God is at hand. What's happening here is that they had expected the present evil age to end and then to be eclipsed by a new age, a new creation, a new exodus. What no one had expected is that Jesus would usher in the kingdom age right in the middle of the present evil age. That's what people thought was going to happen, but this is what happened. Jesus, in his first coming, did not terminate the present evil age. There's still darkness, there's still evil, there's still suffering. But somehow in the midst of all of it, the sun has dawned. The kingdom has arrived. In this sense, ever since the arrival of Jesus, the kingdom is already here, but it's not fully here. It has come, it's busy coming, and yet will only one day come. We live in an age of cosmic overlap. Says one mega theologian on the kingdom of God. He says, Jesus has brought into the world's history things that God will dramatically achieve at the end of the present age. The defeat of evil and the blessings of his reign among people. In other words, the kingdom of God is the presence of the future. Wow, yeah. People look at Christianity and go, geez, that's 2,000 years old. That's old. That's dipped in green paint, man. <laughs> it's true. It is old. What they realize is the kingdom of God is not, is the arrival of the future. We're people ahead of our time. <laughs> yeah. and, and this isn't just um, something we believe in. It's something we experience. The kingdom of God has broken in. The future salvation. We know what it's like to be saved. The future presence of God. One prophet says, you know, one day, uh, the whole world, every square inch of the world, will be covered with the felt glory of God. Like the waters cover the sea. I, I, I'm so far being dense. I'm thinking, how much of the sea is covered by waters? All of it! <laughs> Everywhere. 
God's presence manifests. But already now, God's presence comes. God's presence comes. So these are the two desires of the heart. The Lord's Prayer reminds us of the two big things that, that, that we should be excited about. The fame of His name and the coming of His kingdom. What a great way to start a prayer. You don't want to pray next tomorrow. Pray the Lord's Prayer. And just remind yourself, hey, I'm about the fame of His name. I'm about the coming of His kingdom. And when you pray this prayer, you know, it has a way of just reminding you. It stirs up a passion again. You know, you feel dry and crusty. You watched one episode too much on Netflix last night. You didn't wake up so fresh this morning. You made the mistake of looking at news before the Bible and a bit bleak about the planet you live on and the country you live in. And I you going to work in it? You know, that's how you started your day. You've forgotten the main, you've lost the plots. The Lord's Prayer helps you to regather the plots. You're going to live this day for the fame of His name and the coming of the kingdom. That's what God is doing. Single church, we've got a mission statement. Stepping into the story of God for the sake of great time. This is how you step into the story of God. What's God doing on planet Earth? The same thing He's been doing for a long time now. <laughs> Spreading the family of his name and the coming of his kingdom. So it stirs up a passion. It also gets your life into alignment. Tell you what else you can do with this prayer. You can ask. You know, God's, the fame of his name spreads as we ask that it would be so. Pray for our children. We pray for family members. We may be involved in a ministry. Maybe you're leading a nightclub. Maybe in your industry you're working in. We pray, God, please, through my efforts, let the fame of your name spread. Let the, let, let's see the coming of your kingdom. One of the things that I've been enjoying about Signal and our meetings together, in many ways, the meeting is really arranged around the opening part of the Lord's Prayer. You know, we, we hallow His name. That's what we've been doing. But then we also ask for His kingdom to come. Yeah. So, so we make space for His kingdom to come. We make space for the outpouring of the Spirit. We make space for broken lives to be healed. We make God make space for God to speak to us. We make space for the gifts of the Spirit. Because these are samples of the future. These are evidences of the kingdom of God. We demonstrate the kingdom. It's great that we talk about the kingdom. And we ask for the kingdom. And let's, in our meetings, make space for the kingdom to come. And, and then every church, single included... It has exists in two phases. There's, there's the church gathered and the church scattered. Right now we're gathered, if you want to know which phase we're in. Gathered. And some, some of us are just in Fourth Beach right now. Okay? Fair enough. Next week they'll be here. But we, the church gathered. The church gathered. And, and, and we, are, we are reminding ourselves that we exist for the faith of His name and the coming of His kingdom. But, but then, uh, you know, Tomorrow, we're the church scattered. We're still the church of Jesus. We're still single church. But we're taking with us what we got in our togetherness. We, we are agents and envoys. Envoys of the fame of His name. We are agents of the kingdom of God. Let's keep praying. I'm going to keep going through the message. But Jesus is praying. So, so, so remember, name, kingdom, then he, then he changes tap. So the first prayer, there's no mention of me, my. You're almost not really thinking at the moment about my needs, my wants, 
my vulnerabilities, my problems. That's not where the Lord's Prayer starts. The Lord's Prayer is just take your eyes off you for a moment. Look up! Look out! Think big! Kingdom, man! But Jesus cares about you. He cares about me. He cares about our vulnerabilities. He cares about our, our needs. One verse says that um, the Lord be exact, exalted, who delights in the well-being of his servants. He cares about us. He cares about... So, so, so we, we can pray, God, give, give us today our daily bread. Our, our bread uh, obviously refers to you know, food in our bellies. But it's symbolic of, of what we need for our life's preservation. You probably need more than just food to, to survive. You might need clothes in your body. You might need a home. You might need some people to take you in. <laughs> you might need a job. These are the things we ask for. Give us this day our daily bread. And uh, we don't ask God for our greeds. We ask Him for our needs. Having said that, God is not snook, snook. Which one is it? Snook, snook. <laughs> I can't even remember the other word for what that is. You know, God is not miserly. Um, he's generous. I mean, how's that story in the Gospels? He feeds the 5,000 and He says, okay, leftovers, let's gather them. And 12 basketfuls of leftovers. Sometimes He gives us more than just what we need. So, so, but we don't ask for our grief, we ask for our needs. And we learn to ask for these things. In the morning you hear my voice, says Psalm 5. I lay my request before you and wait in expectation. Psalm 34. The lions may grow weak and hungry, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. We ask God. The, one of the things that goes with the life that exists for your own fame, your own name, and your own kingdom is self-reliance. The, re- the real reason we don't pray more is, is because we actually don't believe, we don't feel like for God. If you're one of those people that knows that you can afford the next 15 meals, you, by the way, are like one of the top 1% wealthiest people in the world. Yeah? And I hope that maybe you're not doing the asking, but you're doing the thanking. And the big myth is, well, I work hard with the skills I've got to bring an income. Well, in Deuteronomy 8 verse 18 says, Don't forget, the skills you've got, the effort you put in, God gave you both of those. So, you know, whether it's falling out the sky, or whether we're going to get it through our hard work, we ask God for it, we thank God for it. We also might need to be agents through God answers that prayer in other people. I mean, Jesus in Matthew 25 speaks about the church giving to the hungry. So people are asking God for daily bread, and the church might be the answer to that prayer. So we ask God, give us today our daily bread. It's not a sign of spirituality that you don't ask for the things you need. It's actually a way of accumulating a testimony. There's a famous guy from, I don't know, 200 years ago, I can't remember when he lived, George Muller. Uh, he used to run an orphanage. And, and uh, one of his things was he did an experiment of never telling anyone what he needed, only asking God. And then he wrote a book and he said, there's, there's like a thousand testimonies, something crazy, of God answering that prayer. I mean, it blew people away. What, I mean, one of the testimonies, he's got this orphanage, and people are, kids are hungry, run out of money, run out of food. Not a problem, he gathers the kids around the table, he says, everybody ask God for daily bread. So they all ask God for daily bread. Doorbell rings, the bakery truck is just broken down outside. Man, broken down, the can, can we give you guys the bread? 
if there was a bakery truck, that was more recent. I can't remember when George Miller lived. Sometime long ago, but not that long ago. And then Jesus says, give us our daily bread. He says, right, now get to the prayer of forgiving us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. And that's good because it's speaking about receiving forgiveness and it's speaking about extending forgiveness, receiving forgiveness. Um, by the way, uh, this is quite complicated, but it's important to get your head around. There's a difference between justification, which is the theological word for what happens when you believe in Jesus Christ. You are justified, which means once and forever, you're accepted by God on the basis of grace. You no longer need to fear condemnation. You're being accepted by God. You have a, a right standing with God. So if that's the case, why do you still need to ask God for forgiveness? I thought my sins were forgiven. Past, present, huge truth. Well, the forgiveness spoken about here more has to do with the experience of intimacy with God. It's true that God is not counting your sins against you. But you know, and I know that when we sin against God, we don't look him in his eyes anymore. We pray less. You know, we find ourselves dodging church, dodging God's people, dodging the Bible. We just are now pulling away. The devil is busy condemning us into our ears. We feel ashamed. What to do? Well, Mark, Jesus says, come clean. Admit God, I've blown it. Admit God, I've blown it. such an important part of the Christian life that there are times in your life that you come clean. Say, God, I've blown it. I'm sorry for this. I'm sorry for that. Maybe the Spirit of God puts His finger on something in your life. And Jesus says, not only do you receive God's forgiveness, you extend God's forgiveness. Come on, let's be honest. When somebody wrongs us, we hold it against them. We hang it over their heads. Sometimes we even tell other people, hey, do you know about what that person did? And uh, we ignore them. We, walk, we, we begin to meditate on how dangerous they are. Warn other people about these people. And it's true, they might be all of those things. But we have a way of exaggerating these things in our head. And Jesus says, extend forgiveness. Extend forgiveness. And, and he connects the two together. As you receive forgiveness... It enables you to extend forgiveness. I mean, you are touched by God's mercy and compassion. It helps you to extend God's mercy and compassion. But Jesus says, like a full circle, as you extend compassion and mercy to others, mind you, more mercy and compassion tends to pour into your heart. You're like a, a host part. The mercy and compassion comes in, but it's got to go out. The more it goes out, more can come in. So Jesus is teaching us to pray the Lord's Prayer. We're going to carry on the Lord's Prayer next week, the rest of it. But notice firstly that we pray for the big things first. Name. Kingdom. Give, forgive. Name. Kingdom. Give, forgive. Why is that? Well, well one reason is that prayer is meant to overcome our self-focus. We wake up in the morning, the natural desire of the sinful heart lives for our own kingdom. And we live for our own fame of our own name. We, we live where, where our way gets done. And by focusing on the big things, you come into alignment again. Not my will, but your will be done. Not my kingdom, your kingdom come. Not my name be famous, your name be famous. So, so, so it means that we're going to pray for ourselves, but it's not going to be ruined by the self-absorption which can make that prayer uh, powerless. It also deals with fear. You know, when, when you're so stressed out about a relational difficulty or by a financial need, it's just so absorbing. And you say, God, I'm going to, please, here's my need. Uh, take it away. And, and you pray, but 
feel hardly any faith. And mind you, the more you talk to God about your problems, the more you remind yourself of your problems, and the prayer finishes and you, you feel more panic than before. What the stuff? That didn't work. Jesus says, no, no. First, you take the focus off you. You think big. You think kingdom. You get, you think faith. What that does is, as you get a big perspective on God, as you get swept into a bigger story, well, suddenly your problems come into the right perspective. Now, from a place of calm, not panic, you pray for your needs. I mean, isn't that the, one of the giant perks of coming to church on a Sunday and getting swept up in big songs to meet God? You just forget about your problems. At least for the rest of the day, you feel lacking. Okay? And another thing, why pray the big things first? It's because it reminds us that prayer is for mission. You see, if we're just thinking about ourselves as surviving in the world, uh, or, or, or you know, trying to get a good life, we begin to think of prayer, you know, asking God for daily bread, asking God to help us with our problems. We, we, we actually live quite small lives. Listen to this. Uh, John Piper. I give him a hard time. I've written a book on um, female gender equality in the church, and um, I'm taking on a fair mind in that book. It doesn't stop me from really appreciating a thousand other awesome things this guy said. This is one of them. He says, Prayer is a wartime walkie-talkie, not a domestic intercom. Jesus said, I chose you and appointed you. You should go and bear fruit, so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, He may give it to you. I give you a mission so that your prayers will be fruitful. Prayer is for mission. It's mainly for those on the front lines of the war effort to call in, um, it's, to call into headquarters to send help. One of the reasons our prayer malfunctions is that we try to treat it like a domestic intercom for calling the butler for another pillow in the den, rather than treating it like a wartime walkie-talkie for calling down the power of the Holy Spirit in the battle for souls. You'll never know what prayer is for until you know that you know life on the front line of the kingdom is war. You'll never know what prayer is for until you understand that life on the front line of the kingdom is war. If you want an exciting prayer life, then live your life for the fame of His name, for the coming of His kingdom. Do something for God in your generation. Be part of the people that are making a difference. Signal exists not for the people in the room. Signal exists for those people. And what God is teaching us through the Sermon on the Mount, through the Lord's Prayer, what He's teaching us in the outpourings of His Spirit is to look to the future. I really believe that Signal has got an enormous future impact in the city of Cape Town that would blow your mind if you were to actually uh, write down a piece of paper, what's going to come from this community in terms of its impact into the city? Yeah. How this community is going to spread the fame of his name and see the coming of his kingdom. Blow your mind! But it takes us getting this important lesson that we exist for the fame of his name and for the coming of his kingdom. That is the desire of our hearts. It's the desire of our church. 